back to the bin. And welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spitaro, and I am once again happy to be recording with my buddies from CGS. And on my screen, going clockwise, uh, we have Mr. Christopher Eberly, Mr. Adam Murdo, Mr. Shane Mulholland, and Mr. Ian Levenstein. Not a woman in the house, but still a good <laughs> bunch of guys. How's everybody doing? Doing good. Doing good. I could now, uh, talk some Edith Bunker if you wanted to have a, a woman's voice. <laughs> <laughs> sure, oh, Archie. Oh, Archie. <laughs> it's it's kind of it's almost like a cross between Edith Bunker and Marge Simpson when you do that, Shane. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that's a little crusty. Yeah, yeah, that's a little too a little too crusty. <laughs> uh, so, uh. Just quick before we get into this, uh, I'm going to refer you over to CGS where the guys just told me they're going to be doing a uh, movie retrospective review of Planet of the Apes, which is one of my all-time favorites. And you can find my review of it on Is It Yours? Uh, But I'm interested in hearing what you guys have to say. So I'm looking forward to that one being released. (laughs) (laughs) As long as it doesn't have Mark Wahlberg, although we did review that on Is It Yours as well. Uh, um, I'm, I'm guessing one of them was Jaws and the other one wasn't. <laughs> that is that is good. Now, if, if you've ever listened to Is It Jaws, and I don't know that anybody has, but uh, we do a Jaws scale, which is a change off of the actual rankings of the movies. So you either rank it Jaws saying it's like a classic movie, Jaws 2 saying it's a very good movie, you could watch it over again, but not quite classic. Jaws 3, you know, it's okay, I watched it, but that's it. And Jaws 4 is bad. <laughs> now that changes from from the the real movies because in my mind Jaws four is actually so bad that it's funny so it gets ranked as a Jaws three and <laughs> Jaws three is awful so it's a oh. Jaws four. Jaws three anyway. was terrible. Come on, Jaws three was in three D. And I was Jaws say, four wasn't probably three D. Michael Caine's summer home. So you know, come on. <laughs> exactly, but but Jaws four is so silly and over the top silly that it's fun for me to watch. Mm. Uh, it was really funny the... when Jabberjaw came out at the end and started dancing around. <laughs> <laughs> no respect. But, uh, no respect. but uh, I, I believe my ranking was Planet of the Apes got ranked as Jaws and Planet of the Apes 2000 uh, surprisingly got ranked as a Jaws 3, not a Jaws wow. 4. Because wow. hmm. when I when wow. I rewatched it for the sake of reviewing it, I thought a little just slightly more highly of it than I did before i was reviewing it, it which it is usually to, just the opposite <laughs> you know it had potential but boy there there's one or two points where they could have fixed it and they didn't and that just ruined the whole rest of the movie then and, and what, I come, so- what i come back to on that is when when it came out on dvd there was a commentary track by tim burton mm-hmm. and at the end of the movie when they have their surprise ending. Yeah. Tim Burton said, I could explain how I was, you know, what scientific basis I was giving for this ending, but I don't want to, in case somebody else decides to make a sequel, I don't want to handcuff them. It's like, Tim, oh, who's making a sequel to this piece of crap? <laughs> I found that Tim Burton's movies are better when it's his own original stories rather than when he tries to adapt other people's stories. That's been yeah. off of my experience. Plus, if you're yeah. going to remake Planet of the Apes, remake the actual novel which they didn't have the money to make back in 1968 right that's what they should yeah. have 
but they did do a good job when they did Rise of the Planet of the Apes and and the, you know the, all of those movies. I enjoyed those. I very haven't much. seen all of those yet. Those are good, but that, those, I, that's like a whole. Those are all totally different stories. And like yeah. that remake tried to you know it was meant to be a, a remake, and I, I just thought it was mm-hmm. god awful. At this point, I think the best adapted thing that Burton's ever done is actually probably Wednesday for Netflix. Oh, uh, Wednesday's that, awesome. Batman's oh, awesome yeah. too. Well, yeah, I was just going to yeah. say Batman's technically an adaptation. I mean, yeah, that's but top of the I, I, I almost consider Batman and Batman Returns to be their own thing, like rather than even like things that Burton has done. Like that, that, that it's a whole other like echelon and level for me. It's a, it, it's on the Batman scale if you want to go up to the Jaws scale, rather than you know Burton's other stuff. So it's Batman, and then everything else Burton has done. <laughs> well, see, it, it just you know I don't want to go too long with this tangent, but for me, the top thing that of, if I look at Burton. Uh, filmography number one on my list is probably Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I do mm. like Pee Wee's Big, Big Adventure. Mm-hmm. Pretty damn close to the top for me too, Paul. Yeah, I do like mm-hmm. Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yep. It's it's still you know I've seen it I don't know how many times and it's so mm-hmm. old and it still makes me laugh every time. Mm-hmm. Good point. Yep. Anyway, uh, I got you guys here to talk comics as much as we could just kind of shoot the breeze all night. And <laughs> as I started to say earlier, you guys have saved me the trouble because between you, you picked four books to do. So we got a lot of a lot of comic covering to do. And it's interesting how the choices to me, like if you just told me the four books and said, tell me who picked each of these, mm-hmm. I would have no problem. I would have no problem <laughs> knowing exactly who brought each one. So I think that's well, actually kind of cool. And if time becomes a problem, we can skip mine because Adams has some of mine in it, just in a different way. A, a, a little, little bit. A little, yeah. I, I, and we can I do mine another that, time. Uh, I did find that connection <laughs> to be kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't I realize that. that. Yeah. I, I was thinking because the last time you guys were on, Ian and Adam weren't able to make it. I was thinking we'd go to theirs first. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, but you know, fine. but I I am totally willing to go. However, whatever order you guys want, nope, go for it. It's your show, Honey Pie. Right. Uh, Merge, you want to go first since yours is the oldest. Okay, I guess that's one way of looking at it. All right. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I'm bringing the independent selection uh, to the table here. Technically, um, I mean, you could classify it as DC if you want, because uh, after the fact. Uh, uh, the the uh, output of this publisher became part of the, the DC canon. Uh, but uh, at the time, it was an independent publisher. And um, we're talking about Charlton Comics here. We're going back to the uh, Charlton Silver Age uh, to March of 1967 for Captain Atom, Volume 1, uh, number 85, March of 67. And here is the cover of my copy right there on screen for whoever happens to be able to see it. Mm-hmm. And, that uh, that yeah. is just me. <laughs> we, we we only we only post audio, but uh, just if you nothing? no, but you know what? If you guys want the video copy to put on your feed, that's that's fine. I can send that over to Ian. Okay, cool. I was going to do Charlton, Charlton, made in <laughs> Carolina. Carolina. Some dance, some, dance, some prance, some <laughs> even have a little romance. <laughs> and so on uh, yeah so anyway this is the late 60s and we're kind of into what could be thought of as the uh, charlton superhero renaissance or charlton action hero renaissance perhaps we should say because uh, th- that that's what dick giordano preferred to call those uh, charlton costume characters just to set them apart from the rest of the uh, superhero product in the market um and uh one uh, th- this is one of those books that was uh revamped by uh 
former Marvel uh, mainstay Steve Ditko when he came over to that company in the late 60s. Uh, he took over Captain Adam, and uh, he uh, co-wrote and penciled uh, this issue, number 85, uh, with the scripting that he usually worked with a, a dialoguer uh, for, for the stuff that he did in the late 60s. And in this case, uh, the script for the lead story was written by uh, Dave Kaler, and uh, Ditko's pencils were inked by uh, Rocky Mastrosario, uh, who... Uh, uh, lived only about a year after the publication of this issue, as it turns out. He he died in 68 at the tender age of like 41. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. No. I didn't know that. Yep, and uh, the front cover is actually signed, Ditko and Rocky. <laughs> yep, as you can see on the cover, it's actually a double feature because uh, Captain Adam was sharing the, the back pages of his, uh, of his title with uh, the then all-new Blue Beetle. This is the Ted Cord version of the character who uh, you know, took up the uh, Beetle baton from his predecessor, the Charlton version of Dan Garrett. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's the backup story. Lead story is entitled The Strings of Punch and Julie. And that, that's the reason why I chose this issue, because uh, Punch and Julie are favorite villains of mine. I tend to go for the, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, jester or puppet Themed characters, um, you know, as, as Chris will attest, he's read my undergraduate honors thesis from Penn State, which was all about the uh, uh, many faces of the uh, mythological trickster archetype in superhero comics. And Punch and Julie definitely fit under that umbrella. So, yeah, the uh, here's the opening blurb from the first page of this issue. One by one, important scientists are spirited away by two new threats to the nation's security. Punch, wily and warped by dreams of power. Julie, a lovely schemer with strange powers, are behind this wild plot, and Captain Atom finds it takes more than superpowers and clever gadgets when he and Nightshade are caught in the strings of Punch and Julie. And they misspell Julie's name in the uh, like banner title of the issue. They, they leave out the second <laughs> E. Um, so, yeah, this uh, it's significant here because not only is it the first appearance of these uh, you know, semi-important uh, Captain Adam rogues, Punch and Julie, it's also uh, the second appearance of uh, Captain Adam's sometime partner, Nightshade, uh, Eve Eden, who had been introduced uh, two or three, uh, yeah, three issues earlier. And, uh, yeah, she, it was Captain Adam teaming up with his new friend Nightshade against uh, the new villain, The Ghost who is also uh, you know, present in this issue, albeit out of costume. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Nightshade disappeared for a bit, and then she sort of just kind of uh, returns unheralded in this issue. It does say Nightshade returns in a caption on the front cover. Uh, so the action begins as uh, Punch and Julie go about uh, capturing uh, their first couple of victims. Uh, their, their scheme here in their first appearance is kidnapping important scientists uh, from throughout the United States. And uh, just taking them to their lair on Coney Island, of all places, and uh, submitting them to an alien brain drain device uh, that will enable them to encode and and, and capture all of their scientific knowledge and their knowledge of government secrets, which they can then sell to shadowy foreign agents or whatever. They never get far enough in their plan for us to see how that would play out. But uh, phase one is capturing all these known scientists. In the second scene, we see uh, Captain Adam and Nightshade in their secret identities of... uh, uh, Captain, I, I guess Alan was his first name in the Silver Age, uh, Alan Adam and uh, Eve Eden. They're at a pool party at uh, the home of their new friend, uh, Alec Roy, who's an uh, inventor and industrialist, uh, who is also secretly the villain, the ghost. So it's an, it's an interesting, it, it, it's one of several respects in which uh, this story and uh, you know the, the Charlton comics of the late 60s in general are kind of akin to the Marvel Silver Age. We've got here this character who is... Uh, the main character's nemesis in costume, but he's uh, 
unbeknownst to him or the heroes, uh, their enemy. He's their best friend in their secret identities, but he's their enemy in costume. So here they are at a party at his house, but if they all knew who each other were in costume, they'd be you know, battling it out. Also, we see Alec Roy, a.k.a. the ghost, standing there in a his arm in a sling. And there's a little caption saying that uh, he, he injured said arm in Captain Adam number 82. So so that there, there's actually some inter-issue continuity going on here in this uh, fledgling Charlton action hero universe. Uh, so while they're at the party, Alec Roy is uh, sealed up inside what appears to be a giant gem and spirited away by these mysterious villains. And uh, Captain Adam and Nightshade then have to answer for their being present at this party, but failing to save their friend and important asset, Alec Gua, from being kidnapped to their superior. And the superior then dispatches them both to, you know, the Nightshade is sent out in her new hover vehicle to investigate the disappearance, while Captain Adam is sent upstate to have his new atom his altered atomic superpowers tested further. Because this is a new development. This happened just the issue before this. This is only the second appearance of Captain Adam as he visually appears in this issue with the you know the, the silver undercoat the blue tunic the red leggings before that he was wearing what looked like a red and gold chainmail outfit so this is only the second appearance of the new look captain adam he's got this layer of alien metal coating his body and it's altered his radiation powers somewhat in ways that are still being understood by his government superiors so he's being sent up state to, to new york to have these powers tested further uh, then there's kind of an interlude here where we see Punch and Julie reflecting on their origins. Where we're told that they were just uh, cheap carny crooks who uh, ran a puppet show uh, at the Coney Island Amusement Park until one day while they were swimming on the beach, they found a chest filled with uh, apparently alien devices, just uh, little uh, gadgets from some lost civilization, possibly, most likely alien, possibly from somewhere else on Earth. Uh, the, the, the scripter, Dave Kaler, kind of teases us with uh, Julie wondering aloud, I wonder where that chest did come from. But anyway, it contained all the, the gimmicks and gadgets that Punch and Julie used to begin their life of crime. Punch's uh, sky shoes and sting strings, which he uses to entangle his victims, and Julie's uh, hypnotic gemstones, which he uses to uh, cast illusions on her opponents. And uh, it tells the story of how they subsequently set up shop in their secret headquarters on Coney Island and decided uh, to uh, embark on this first scheme of theirs to capture uh, important scientists and drain their brains of secrets to be sold to the highest bidder. And it just so happens that their next victim is the scientist who is conducting tests on Captain Adam. So they go and they, they capture that scientist and also manage to capture Captain Adam, who is as part of the test he's undergoing has been drugged to, to lower the uh, radio, the, the emission of radioactivity of his body. Um, so they capture both of these people. Meanwhile, Nightshade is, uh, she gets a tip off that uh, Punch and Julie have captured uh, Captain Adam and taken him to Coney Island. So she rushes to the rescue. And uh, meanwhile, Alec Ra, a.k.a. the ghost, has uh, unbeknownst to everybody else present, come to. He removes his arm from his cast, revealing the uh, circuitry of his uh, miniaturized teleportation device. And um, while uh, Captain Adam and Nightshade uh, engage Punch and Julie in battle, he teleports away some of their alien gimmickry for his own criminal uses later on. Nightshade arrives on the scene, and she reveals a superpower. That uh, apparently in her previous, her only previous appearance, uh, she had not uh, made use of. Uh, we learn that she has the ability to transform herself into living shadow. So she uses that, and uh, she's able to slip into the headquarters and uh, rescue Captain Adam. The two of them engage Punch and Julie in battle, which goes on for several pages. They get the upper hand. They're able to rescue Alec Ra, and uh, Punch is captured, but Julie gets away. So there's kind of a 
loose thread being let, deliberately left there to be picked up later on. So, you know, more of the, you know, this you know, continuity-oriented subplot-driven storytelling that we're seeing here in the Silver Age of Charlton. Uh, and we end with a few, uh, a glimpse of no fewer than four individuals who would like to have revenge in, at a future time on uh, their foes, Captain Adam and Nightshade. Punch in prison, Julie, still on the loose, Aliquois, who's about just about healed enough from the injury he sustained in issue number 82 to come back into action as the ghost. And finally, reporter Abby Ladd, who is, uh, you know, Abby, the the initials are the same as Ann Landers, probably not an accident there. She's kind of like Lois Lane meets J. Jonah Jameson. She's a muckraking reporter who's got a mat on for Captain Adam. Adam. And uh, just wants to drag his name through the mud. And so that and uh, we're teased that in the next issue, the ghost will, in fact, return in the story, The Fury of the Faceless Foe, in number 86. And then the part that's of most interest to Shane here, um, the backup story, which is the, the third appearance overall of Ted Cord in the role of the new Beetle, the new Blue Beetle, uh, concept and art by Steve Ditko. That, that includes the inking and lettering, I believe. And his uh, scripting partner on this story is Gary Friedrich, who's worked for Marvel in the 70s, is well known to many. And this is just kind of a quickie story. It's only like uh, eight pages, I think. And it begins with uh, Ted Cord being just grilled mercilessly for one whole panel uh, by uh, an important supporting cast member, Detective Fisher, uh, about uh, the disappearance of Dan Garrett. And uh, what role uh, Ted Cord might have in that. And little does Detective Fisher suspect, of course, that uh, Ted is actually a protege of Dan Garrett. He knows what happened to him. Um, and uh, Ted has secretly taken on Professor Garrett's uh, mantle of the Blue Beetle in the meantime. But, uh, yeah, so that that's kind of a little nod to the past and also you know, showing that there are repercussions for what happened. Uh, to, to Dan Garrett, his disappearance and so forth. So that lasts all of two panels, and then we're launched right into the action of the issue, which is an eight-page uh, battle, but it, it, it's Blue Beetle struggling to A, rescue a hijacked plane, uh, B, track down and capture the enemy sub that appears to rescue the would-be hijacker, and C, wrestle an octopus. <laughs> <laughs> yep, so we get to see the Beetle and uh, his uh, distinctive Beetle-shaped uh, airship, the Bug, uh, in action, and uh, showing off all of his cool gadgets and such, and it's, yeah, it's it's, and a little bit of a nod to past continuity, but mostly just eight pages of the Beetle doing what the Beetle does. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. And that's uh, in a nutshell. That is the comic that I uh, chose to bring up here on this episode of Back to the Bins. Masterfully summarized, brother. Mm-hmm. Brother, yeah, well, well, well yeah. done. One uh, one thing one thing that I wouldn't have known if had you not brought it up, Murd, is that. Uh, this issue is available on DC Infinite uh, as mm. as one of the uh, the digital uh, issues available. That's how I was able to read it, you and too. they corrected they corrected that uh, that spelling mistake that you mentioned yeah. in the yeah, initial uh, banner. Uh, so it actually has the proper amount of E's and Julie uh, all throughout. So that's one of the many touch ups they were able to do when digitizing it and uh, and I guess making it presentable for the digital crowd. It's like, oh, this mistake was made 40, you know, 60 years ago or whatever. Let's go ahead and correct that. (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, I I actually approve of that. I was fully unfamiliar with this, and I'm not even totally familiar with uh, a lot of Captain Adams, you know, post uh, silver age appearances so a lot of this was new to me and i i ended up you know looking up on dc wiki and seeing who these people were and what their backgrounds were and all of that but it was a good read just the same uh i i 
I, I, I bow my head in shame and say I had to read it on Read Comics Online because I, that was the only <laughs> place I could find access to it. Um, hopefully, Chris will be able to rejoin us in a moment. Uh, but any, anyway, uh, yeah, probably somebody at the door or something. Uh, the interesting thing for me was to look at this from the perspective of the Ditko art. More the story was was fun enough. Don't get me wrong, but uh, you know, seeing the Ditko art because I've always found that Ditko was at his best when he would do either kind of a film noir kind of feeling, which he did a lot of times on those early Spider-Mans. A lot of deep shadows and different things that went on to create a, a kind of a mood, uh, or if he did things that were really trippy, like Doctor Strange, you know, in in some sort of uh, strange universe where everything is like freaky. Um, in this one, it, it almost felt a little inconsistent because there's a lot of just regular scenes, and and that that isn't where I feel like Ditko really excels. Uh, mm. Again, you know, I, I think that the the stuff like once they got into the point where they were giving their origins and they show her putting the uh, thing on and there's all the stuff around her head and everything, that that was like kind of the Doctor Strange look. I thought the totally. Blue Beetle short story actually seemed to be a little better artwork than in the Captain mm. Adam story. Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, Ditko uh, was inking himself on that one. Yeah. 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 Actually. Yeah. That's probably the reason, uh, especially the scenes where he's wrestling the octopus. I think that those are beautiful. Um, it, it looks like the lettering is almost tightened. I was, I, I was going to say that because, uh, it, at least in the version that, that I was reading, um, it doesn't look like a very standard, uh, type of uh comic book lettering as as paul says it, it looks closer to a typeface than it does an actual you know comic book lettering style um whether that was intentional or not or whether that's just how they did it in the in the digital version i'm not sure but wasn't that that was the thing i was the least bit of a fan of to be honest with you it kind of drew me out of it a little bit because it was a little harder to read than you know your typical comic book lettering it's something I was never aware of, like I was never conscious of uh, when I was reading just in general. And then I was listening to podcasts where some people started pointing out, oh, look at the lettering here. Look how they changed the typeface to give this mood. Look how they change this. And all of a sudden I became more conscious of it. And I started thinking, you know, it it's surprisingly effective when the when the lettering is well done uh, and, and it's very subconscious. Uh so that that's an interesting thing or an interesting aspect of it. Uh, but overall, like I said, I thought the story was pretty cool. And, and I, I got a kick out of, you know, oh, who are these characters and, and moving forward and trying to figure them out. And I, I got I definitely got a you know, you mentioned the Silver Age Marvel thing. I got a, I got the feel of uh, Ant-Man and Wasp and Whirlwind. With you know mm. him being their their uh, chauffeur, but you know, in secret, knowing you know, th the only difference about that was he knew who they were and he knew he hated them. They didn't know that he did though, so he was kind <laughs> of like working behind their backs. But that's the that's the feeling I got, and I, I am definitely curious to see where this story would go with the ghost, and you know when they would eventually find out you know who they were dealing with. One thing I like to point out that I think is great about Murd selection is that. The writer is actually a very important person in the history of comic book fandom. So Dave Kaler was a roommate of Denny O'Neill and Roy Thomas in the mid to late 1960s in the East mm -hmm. Village. And I just know from reading over the years from the history of comics that he started some of the first comic book conventions in the United States. Oh, wow. Oh, he did wow. three, I think, in the mid to late 60s in New York City. 
Um, he was heavily involved in the early fandom. So it was it was really I, I didn't realize that he'd also written some comics. So it was great to see his name um, attached to this story. Great selection, Murd. Wow. Um, oh, thank you for that contribution, Chris. I, yeah. I'd never heard of Dave Campbell yeah. before. Yeah, I, I, just as I've read like tomorrow stuff over the years, his name will pop up sometimes in interviews and retrospectives. Interesting, though, what I found, Murd, this was this came out in 1967. That's right. OK, mm-hmm. what's interesting, what what. As much as I enjoyed it, what made it a bit of a slog for me, it, it reads like early Silver Age writing rather than later Silver Age writing. Mm-hmm. And like if you look at what Marvel was doing in 1967 in terms of the caliber of the scripting, I, I found the scripting difficult to get through um, just because I, I enjoyed the story. And, 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 and anytime to see Ditko, I'm happy, even though I don't think this is some of Ditko's strongest art. But um the the scripting was a slog. Uh, it, script, I felt like I was reading point, early 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 sixties Marvel, which I usually don't read anymore because I just can't get through the scripting for a lot of it. <laughs> At so. this point, wouldn't Marvel have been kind of more into like the cosmic stuff in the Fantastic Four? Yes, and yeah. you know a little bit more of like the the you know maybe around the time when uh, the Kingpin was appearing in Spider Man. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not doing saying this to to pick on the Charlton book. It's just that. I was I thought when I read the story, I'm like, oh, this must have come out in like 1962 or something like that, because it <laughs> reads like that period. But it came out in, in so that that just surprised me a little bit. Yeah. The fr- the first the first lines of the Blue Beetle one in, in particular, talk cord. You came back from Pago Island alone. What did what did you do with Dan Gan Dan? And Gary, where is he? You know, you, you can very much get the uh, the old school like uh, you know radio serial radio yeah. serial yeah. voice go in your head and have it work just as well. Yeah. <laughs> I, I could see this, and I'm not saying the story itself, but just as far as familiarity with the way it's told and all, I could see this being similar to, say, you know, like an early Iron Man Tales of Suspense story. No, it's mm-hmm. totally uh, like that. Absolutely. You know, and and I, I don't have a problem with those books. And, you know, I, I understand your point where you're saying, uh, you know, sometimes they're a little bit of a slug. I seem to have a problem with those books, the real Silver Agey ones when I try to read them in bulk, when I binge them, if I just mm-hmm. pull one out and read it or read, you know, two or three issues, I'm fine. But if I start getting into five, six, seven, eight, <laughs> now it starts wearing me down. Yeah. You, you just, you just described me when, uh, I mean, as, as my, as my CGS brethren know, you know, as, as when we, when we've gone deep into the, uh, into Stan Lee holes of the, uh, <laughs> of, of the, of the mid I can do about, you know, five or six at a time that I need to take a little bit of a breather before I go back to it because it's just that, just that can't and be kitschy. What's interesting about that, Ian, is that <laughs> the way this book is written, this is the way Stanley was writing in the early 1960s. Yes. By the mm-hmm. time we get to, and as Paul said, like 67, they're, they're doing like cosmic stuff and FF, Spider-Man is pretty sophisticated. So it's, just, it's an interesting, it's interesting contrast. And, and I, I always enjoy, you know, you know me guys, like a time capsule like this, but it's also a reminder of how dramatically writing styles change as the medium oh. is evolving and going in different directions. Um, mm-hmm. And it just, as I read it now in, you know, 2024, historically, you know, a delight. I just as a reader, though, I was like, um, it's hard for me to do these anymore. Uh, <laughs> Shane, I'm, for, for that matter, Shane, I'm curious what you think of Ditko's design of the bug, which looks closer to the frog. Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> like the design of that bug in particular, uh, particularly rather. 
I thought mm-hmm. that it looked a little weird. I don't, I don't, rem- I have maybe one or two issues of some kind of Blue Beetle in Charlton, but not many at all. And I know I've never really read any of it. Um, but to see that, I was like, ooh, that really does look like a full on bug with the, mm-hmm. the head and the body and the yeah. long, spindly mm-hmm. limbs. Really long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everything else about the art and the character and all that part of the story was great until you got to the bug. I'm like, ooh, I don't like that design. <laughs> <laughs> I like current bug better. <laughs> yep. I, I like I said though, I'm pretty enamored with the underwater scenes. I think he did a great job with those. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, and, and of the two stories, I'm I'm more into the the Blue Beetle story than I am the Captain Adam story. Uh, I not that I don't enjoy Punch and Judy because I Julie because I actually do. Um, it's just this is more this is more my bag. You know this this is this is way closer to a to my typical superhero aesthetics i think than, than what uh, than what captain adam brings to the table i had a lot of fun reading the captain adam and the punch and julie though um i i know i'd never read any of that before so that was that was a lot of fun for me to see i did not find it nearly as much of a slog as, as maybe some of you did but i haven't read much from the early 60s through the late 60s um mm-hmm. there's a, a few justice league issues i've read but nothing Nothing like what I'm sure Chris and, and maybe even Ian and certainly Adam have read, but um, mine was always like late 70s through today that I've read most of. So for me, mm-hmm. it, it didn't I expected it to be a little bit lighthearted and a little bit kind of vintage to what my mind was thinking it would be. So it did, that oh, didn't yeah. bother me at all. Yep. I, I, I mean, I've read most most everything Marvel put out in the 60s just about so I, I this this writing style doesn't really phase me and like i said though i i think if i had too much of it i'd probably you know it would wear me out sure uh you know every once in a while we'll do an issue from this some you know somewhere around this time period uh from dc which are much much more silver agey than marvel was at this point and even more silver agey than this um you know, we will read a you know a Superman issue from you know sixty four, sixty five, somewhere around there, and I always have to pull myself back and try and review it based upon what they're presenting and who they're presenting it to, and try not yeah. to say you know they're not looking to present this to forty, fifty, and sixty year old people. They're looking <laughs> to put this to an eight, nine, ten year old, yeah. and mm-hmm. I have to kind of review yep. it from that perspective. Now this this might even be a little bit more sophisticated than that, where they're looking, you know, 10, 11, 12 year old. You know, <laughs> so so I, I think, you know, it it's you kind of have to take it, even though I enjoy reliving that kind of feeling but you have to take it from what it's meant to be uh and and from that perspective i think this is a really solid book and and you know again since it's something i'm not that familiar with i'm kind of thankful that adam picked this one out of whatever (laughs) whatever barrel you picked this one out of (laughs) but just because it gave it gave me you know a a glimpse into some of the history that i you know i had never seen before so i think that's pretty cool happy to broaden your charlton horizons there How, how long was charlton around Oh, that they into the eighties. Yeah, they I mean, up on superheroes long since. They were publishing yeah. like Anna Barbera wow, and war and war like, comics stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there was a lot of you know like TV ad- adaptations and mm-hmm. you know of, of t- not not adaptations of actual TV episodes, but the characters from TV huh. shows that would be put into stories. And they they're famous for a very very cheap uh, printing 
method of like the quality mm-hmm. of the paper that they, they were at, they're, 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 they're out of Connecticut. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I they, don't know they, if I knew that they did for paying their creators a very, very low page rate, but they allowed them to do whatever the heck they wanted as long as they filled the pages. So which that's is why, okay. which is why Ditko was drawn to them after working at Marvel. Right. Wow. Sure. I don't yeah. know if I realized that they were that had that much longevity. I, I, I kind of oh, knew, yeah. I know a little bit more about the superhero side of the world just because DC acquired so many of the characters, but I didn't know that they did adaptations. I always think of Whitman comics, gold key and, and that like to do the, the TV kind of adaptation ones. Hmm? Right. Yeah. They, they had, you know, some similar properties though. Yeah. Interesting. Before we move on, Murd, I'm curious, do you happen to know where you pick this issue up, whether it be at a con, a, <laughs> a, a store or otherwise? I think I just got it from uh, a discount bin at Golden Eagle, actually. Nice. It's, it came in in this. Uh, I'm not oh, even oh, I remember wow. those. <laughs> oh, what a great idea they were, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, right? I, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen one of these. Ever, it's from oh, a company yeah. called Better View, V-U-E Products. Yeah, mm-hmm. And it's one. just like this plastic this heavy plastic sleeve i don't know even know if it's yeah. made of mylar baby or not <laughs> and then it's got three <laughs> holes in it to go yep. into a binder a yeah, binder, yeah. Yep. those holes have never been punched out i certainly don't right. keep it in a binder myself but that's yeah. that's what it came in and that's what i've kept it in ever since <laughs> nice so here i'm back to the bins we do read our comics and we rate them with kind of a school grade so i guess chris is probably the most equipped to handle this we rate the I'm, I'm, cover I'm sick of that but anyway the, go ahead <laughs> the cover the interior art uh the story and then overall and i always say you know the uh, overall grade does not necessarily have to equal the sum of its parts you know you could you could give everything a c but say i love this book and overall i'm going to give it an a uh but it's however you choose to rate it and we always let the person who synopsized it go Ooh, first so adam you were on you're on the clock oh okay i may need to run it a little bit because i wasn't expecting this uh well the cover uh, is as uh, those on the skype call see before them Lower 25% Blue Beetle, upper 75% Captain Adam with uh, his giant, uh, yeah, it, it's, I like the, the, the cover dress, like the logo design. And of course the action scene with all the main characters there. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I'd give that a B plus. Uh, the interior artwork, I'll give that an A. The story, um, kind of a solid B. Uh, and then an overall grade. Uh, or is there one more thing that I'm missing? Overall, great. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah, B plus. Okay, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm gonna jump in and I'm gonna say the cover is a little too busy for me, uh, mm. and it could be just a little darker. The colors are a little too bright for me. Uh, oh, but again, they... <laughs> again, <laughs> well, they need to be I, I have to factor in the Dr. audience Spectral. it's meant for. I mean, that's really gonna be too, too polychromatic. <laughs> yeah, I just. I just... <laughs> Anyway, I, I'm going to just say a B on the cover. Just you know, uh, you know, it's not that it's bad in any respect. I just feel like if it was just a little deeper, it would be a little more intense looking to me. Uh, okay. The interior art—it's good Ditko. It's not great Ditko. Um, I, like I said, I, and 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 I think you guys, whoever had said it, I think hit it on the nose that I like the story inked by Ditko much more than I like the story that's not inked by Ditko as far as the artwork goes. Uh, so I'm going to say a B on the interior art as well. Uh, the story, the story had me going. I kind of enjoyed reading this, so I'm going to say a B plus on the story, and overall, I'm going to give the book a B plus. Okay. 
I, I think cover cover for me, I'll, I'll I'll give a solid B. I I I think they did a pretty good job with letting us know what was going on, and, and I actually dig all the all the colors and the you know the bottom half being Blue Beetle and the top half being Captain Adam gives gives a decent amount of uh, of uh, flow to it. The artwork I will give a B minus. Um, it it's the depth of field that I'm not a big fan of in the Captain Adam one. I, I feel like uh, whether it's the whether it's the inking or whether it's just the amount of time that Ditko had to work on the story, it's it's not nearly as 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 uh, full as it should be for me. Like oh, everybody seems to be on the same uh, you know plane. When there should be a little bit more depth of field going on with the uh, with the overall uh, layout and what have you, so that that that's going to give a, get a B minus for me. Um, story also B minus, I think, and overall I'll I'll give it a B. Uh, for me, it's a B straight across the board. Okay. okay. Yeah, I think I'm kind of in that camp because I I love the cover, which would be B B plus for me. Um, the interior art, I agree the Captain Adam stuff isn't quite as intriguing as the Blue Beetle stuff, but I love Blue Beetle so much that that kind of evens out to a, a good solid B for me. Um, mm-hmm. The story, I enjoyed the story, so I would give that a B plus because I enjoyed reading the Captain Adam stuff as well as the Blue Beetle stuff. I just thought everything was a lot of fun to read. Um, I don't have a lot of exposure to it. And then just overall, uh, I would average it all out to a B just because it was... It was all really good for me. <laughs> all right. Nice. All right. So that's it for Captain Adam. And I guess we're going to move on to the flesh now. Indeed. Um, and uh, this is uh, issue 62 of the flash uh, cover date of early May 92. Uh, and, and I'm uh, just going to jump in for a second, interrupt you, Adam. And say, I, I mean, Ian rather, and say, mm-hmm. by way of background, Ian gave us this, book because he was going to be on the show like three years ago and we've been waiting for this review <laughs> since then that's right <laughs> now now so, now it now wasn't go ahead. quite that long it, it wasn't quite that long this this is the book that i uh, that i that i threw in there uh when uh when Mur and i weren't able to join the last time around so uh not quite that long ago although for all i know i may have also suggested <laughs> years ago so who the hell knows it but nevertheless like it feels like three years i agree with you paul uh Flash Year One, Born to Run, Chapter One, uh, written by Mark Wade. This is Mark Wade's first issue on the book uh, for his long-standing, ongoing run on uh, the Wally West Flash. Uh, the pencils are by uh, Greg LaRoque. Uh, the uh, inks are by Jose Marzon Jr., uh, letters by Tim Harkins, and colors by Glenn Whitmore, uh, edited by Brian, uh, by, uh, Brian Augustine. Uh, who was again a longtime DC editor who worked on most of the stuff for uh, for Mark Wade's run as well. Um, so this, this starts off with the the Flash Year One, and this is of course Flash Year One for Wally West, where uh, Mark Wade went to put his definitive take on the the origin story for Wally West to get things going. Um, there had been sort of origins of Wally told in the past while he was Kid Flash and, and elsewhere, but this to me is in many ways a definitive version of, of Wally's origin even today. Um, and I'll start off immediately by saying how fascinated I am with how well put together Mark Wade's voice 
of the character is right off the bat. Like immediately, this is Mark Wade's Wally West um, personality wise writing. It's it's all there immediately from jump. And you could tell that this is going to be something special. And lo and behold, it still is special to this very day. Um, and the issue starts off with, uh, you know, Wally on, on one of his on one of his typical you know superhero outings um he he stops a uh, a, a bomb from from going off and barely has enough time to do so uh while at the airport um hilariously this is very much a 1992 airport rather than today because the amount <laughs> of you know uh, airport security that would have been going on in today's world probably would not have allowed said bomb to be there in the first place in such a nebulous spot as it was but 1992 versus today you take that with a great assault uh, but either way he, he he's able to stop a bomb from going off of the airport and uh barely barely does so with enough time to spare and in doing so, winds up running into his grandfather um, and uh, sits down with the grandfather. Him and his grandfather aren't exactly uh, the closest on the closest of terms. But as we get further on into the story, we learn that while he's not really close to most of his family, the only, the only real person he was close to was his aunt Iris, yeah. um, that that his uh, his father and him had a very uh, rocky road. Um, his father was not very nice to him growing up. His mother was standoffish. Um, and, and Iris was really that, uh, way of that beacon of hope that was thrown in there and, and a way for him to escape a little bit from his own life in, uh, in, 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 you know, where he was. So we, we get the scenes with the, with the grandfather. Um, and at this point in continuity, uh, Iris West had died. Um, there was a whole situation with her being in the future and all that jazz. And we're not going to bother going into that here because, you know, shockingly, that's how she's no longer dead, but you know, comic, <laughs> books, maybe. comic books, um, nevertheless, a lot, a lot of her belongings were, were at, uh, his grandfather's house. And he goes through them, and then that gets him reminiscing on his on his previous life uh, when he finds something that was specifically left for him by Iris in said belongings. Um, and, and we go back to when he was uh, only 10 years old um, and coming from Blue Valley, Nebraska, to spend the summer with his uh, with his Aunt Iris. And that's where he first has a chance encounter with the Flash. Um, and gets to you know experience the Flash in person. He he himself wearing a Flash a shirt, so he was a fanboy. And then the fanboy actually gets to meet the idol because uh, that's what happens when you go to visit his city. Um, but uh, he gets to experience the Flash stopping a criminal, and uh, then is stuck with uh, his aunt Iris's boring uh, uh, boyfriend uh, Barry Allen, uh, which you know he's like, oh man, I, I don't, I, I, I gotta, I gotta deal with this guy. But you know, of course, little does he know, Barry Allen is in reality the Flash, uh, and uh, he's left with Barry uh, while Iris goes off to uh, to deal with uh, with a case, uh, and. Um, in doing so, Barry introduces him to his friend, the Flash, uh, with a little bit of a speed uh, shenanigans, winds up in front of Wally in the next room of Barry's apartment. Uh, Wally turns on the light and there's and there's the Flash there. And 
rather than just spend some you know time with with Wally and get to know the kid a little bit and uh, treat him to a uh, a wonderful uh, you know afternoon of uh, telling him about his adventures and maybe getting to know him a little bit. Instead, he restages the exact uh, experiment uh, that gave him his powers. Uh, to show him a little bit of like how it happened and like you know it, it lightning can't possibly strike more than once <laughs> in the same place right exactly it's the same place at the same time and then lo and behold as we happen strikes. to be talking about it <laughs> exactly um and 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 before you know it uh lightning strikes it hits wally and wally is hit by the exact same chemicals and gets the exact same uh power shenanigans as his uh as his idol and that's where the the issue leaves off, and um, he dies, and we never hear from him again. No, instead he winds <laughs> up becoming uh, Kid Flash, and and the story moves on from there. Um, and this is this is where you know the first the first issue that uh, that Mark Wade uh, worked on leaves off, and it's a really strong beginning here. I'll t- I mean, I, I know I said it already, but I'll say it again. It, it captivates you. If you're not familiar with Wally West, this is the type of issue that will get you familiar with the character, both as an adult and in the past. Um, you'll connect with him um, in ways you probably didn't connect with him before. Um, the artwork is is terrific. I'd say my one my one issue with it, and it's it's an issue that many artists have, so it's not just a shortcoming of this particular artist. Uh, Greg LaRoque is that Greg, Greg, Greg LaRoque is not exactly good at uh, making a 10 year old look like a 10 year old. Um, Wally kind of looks like a full grown adult that happens to be the size <laughs> of a 10 year old. Um, it, it happens. That's part of artwork. I've, I've lived to accept it for the most part outside of, you know, a few artists here or there. But outside of that, the the artwork is kinetic and it flows and it gets the story across the way that it's supposed to. And really just in the end it makes you want to read more and there's a there's a reason why mark wade's run is as well regarded as it is and it's because it started off with a bang and it went on from there so good on him for telling an origin story and making it pop and uh, this first issue really sunk for me so thrilled to check this one out Ian, i i really am pleased that you selected this because a, a big hole in my comic reading is i've never read any mark wade flash Wow. So it was great to have this introduction. I concur with everything you've said. I, I mean, even back in the 90s, Mark Wade is, is already a top flight comic book scripter because, as you noted, he clearly establishes Wally not as a person and mm-hmm. his family dynamic and, you know, his just the nuance. Like he's irritated. He has to spend time with his like this lame boyfriend of, of his aunt and mm-hmm. you know they show the flash's powers very effectively throughout the story um great jumping on point for anyone who has never you know really read the flash or, or known as anything about wally west i was howling with laughter at the way he got his powers of course at the end because you know <laughs> it's just you know that kind of coincidence can only happen in comics yep. um but really enjoyed it thoroughly good pick yep yeah i did too i don't think I, i've I really... ever read this issue um I was surprised. I had never read it until Adam. For, until I keep saying Adam. I'm sorry. I don't mean to confuse the two of you, gentlemen. Uh, no until worries. Ian first suggested it, and I read it then. And I said all the things kind of that we're saying now, including, oh yeah, I need to pick up this run and just kind of you know go with it. And I haven't. 
and that's my <laughs> and it's it, it's it's something it, it it happens on this show all the time that we review a book and one of the mm-hmm. criteria that i have if it's a book or a storyline that i'm not familiar with is i say well does it make me want to read more and a lot of times i say absolutely i want to read more and then i don't because there's just not enough time in the day to read everything and something gets pushed aside and you end up with a time bubble of uh, books that you're not going to get to read <laughs> you know it's just that's the way life treats us unfortunately i agree with everything you said about mark wade's writing in here is tremendous i think it's really really well done and it it okay. totally pulls you in and it's decompressed but it doesn't feel like a two-minute read which is you know big because a lot of these decompressed stories you know you read it in a couple of seconds and it's it's like you know i want more now uh and this one didn't give me that this this felt like it was a complete story the artwork is interesting to me because laroque's style and he is very stylistic uh it's not really my preferred style i prefer like a little bit Mm -hmm. cleaner a little bit a little bit more traditional but I'm looking at it again from the review point of view, and I think the layouts are great. I think he really yeah. did a great job of of making it dynamic and and you know adding just things that make you want to follow the story from the way it's drawn. And not every artist is able to do that, so I give him a lot of credit for that. I just kind of wish, again, I wish his stylisticness was just a little bit more traditional with these same layouts. Mm-hmm. That's the only downside I can give on it, and it's it's a pretty uh, minor downside because it's only to my taste, as opposed to saying it's bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I agree with that. I I love the layouts, um, the art. I think for the most part, everything through the entire issue is really good. But I don't like the way he draws faces. They look a little loose. Not mm-hmm. like 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 you say, Paul. Not not quite as tight or as clean. It's not bad. It's just not what I prefer to see in my artwork. Um, but I love the layouts and I love all the background, all the character references. I do think you're right, Ian. At times, Wally as a 10 year old boy looks like an adult. I was thinking <laughs> yeah, exactly. homunculus. Is that the right word for a miniature human? <laughs> yes, um, so that, yeah, that flashed through my head. There's relatively few artists that can do it well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the reality. Is there's there's only been very very rare instances where I've seen 10 I, you know, I would say from 6 to 15, very few artists have hit where you say that looks right. It's like, you exactly. know, who who can draw Darth Vader's helmet and who can't? Like right. most right. artists can't. And right. like there there's on page 20 um when they're in the lab, there's a whole center center three panel thing and I think there he looks like a 10 year old kid just other mm-hmm. times, like even the panel right above it. He just looks like an adult looking at, at uh, Barry in the flash costume. Um, yeah. Which, but the stories, which honestly that, that, you pointing that out oh, makes me wonder whether or not that's Jose Marzon's inks or whether that's, uh, that's LaRoque's uh, yeah. initial pencils that may have done yeah, that as well. Great. Cause you know, yeah, it's possible. Um, it's a, it's a great origin story. I, I'm pretty sure I'd really have to go back and search. I'm pretty sure I read the tail end of Mark Wade's run leading into Jeff Johns, right? That's who came immediately next was Johns. Yeah. So I'm, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure I read a, a good chunk of the last, I don't know, year or so of Mark Wade's run, but I never read any of this early stuff. Yeah. So it, I, it I, I, I had picked it up in trade years and years and years ago after I had read Dead Heat and I had read, you know, uh, the the return of Barry Allen and a couple of the other trades. And then eventually I wound up picking up the uh, the year one trade, uh, which which has most of this stuff in it. So this isn't my first run with 
this issue. Um, but going back and reading it again, just, you know, proved to me outright, you know, why this this worked as well as it did. And remember, ladies and gentlemen, an era where a new brand new take on a character, you know, starting from scratch is issue 62 and not issue one of volume yeah. three. So that's <laughs> or four or five or six. Yeah. Oh, for exactly. <laughs> May they come again. Yep, well, it was, it, you know, there's a weird dynamic to that because it's like back in the 60s, they thought it was better to have a high number on their yep. stories. Mm-hmm. That's what, you know, that, that's that's why I think, uh, was it the Flash that picked up with its original numbering? Yep. From the Golden it, Age to the Silver yes, Age? Definitely. Yes, it was. In, or or they'd, they'd have a book that was, you know, one topic and they'd totally change it to something else, but they'd still keep the numbering going. Mm-hmm. And the you know, it, it, they did that yeah, with Doctor it, Strange as well, for example. Well, Mm-hmm. Yeah, Doctor Strange went with the. Well, they they did it with Doctor Strange, with the Hulk, and with Captain America when they yep. took the split. And books Journey, and, and... Journey didn't didn't Journey in the Mystery do that as well? Yep. Uh, eventually, yeah, all the, all the Marvel yeah. House titles. Yep, they switched over to the the, the leading characters in books, but kept the numbering. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so there was you know a def- definitely a different a thought process, yeah. uh, and I think the thought process now is twofold i think there's one oh we're going to make them think this is going to be a collector's item by giving mm-hmm. it a number one and yeah. i think that's the biggest overriding thing and then i think on yeah. a on a lower level i think they start oh, to say to themselves well if we put it as number one people will feel it's a good jumping on point yeah <laughs> and, and and like you say it goes it goes along with that instant gratification that i think today's society is too too comfortable with everything mm-hmm. has to be right now short concise quick reads um because nobody wants to be distracted with an actual hour long read and look through a comic. They want 10 minutes so they can move on to something else. Um, And and I think you're absolutely right. Number one's reign supreme to give people what they think is a good jumping on point, even though it makes no sense to most of us and drives me crazy and actually turns me off of reading books long-term because I get tired of the Mm. rebooting every time. Sure. Um, Yeah. I, and then, I, and then, even worse is the hypocrisy of rebooting it, and then seventy-five ins- issues into the reboot, it's issue five hundred. Yeah, or having <laughs> an anniversary come up and say, "Well, this is number thirteen in the series, but number five hundred overall." Yeah, no, exactly. That's even no. worse. To me. That's even worse to me when you when you do the when you do the reboot, you're on issue six, and suddenly it's issue six hundred. Like, nah, just come for on. that one month for the anniversary. Yeah. You can't eat. You can't have your cake and eat it too. One way or the other. Like that's that. Stick with it. Stick with it. <laughs> but I once again am glad to have the app because I was able to peruse this easily on the DC app. Yes. Same. Same here as well. Yep. Yep. All right. Um, if we're going with ratings, uh, so I mean, I, I, I guess I guess to start to start off with the with the cover. I'm gonna give the cover a B plus. Uh, the the face on Wally yet again not the best, uh, but I think the actual layout of it is is great uh, with the lightning bolt and I you know I, I've always been a fan of that particular Flash logo and the Year One logo underneath it works really well. So um, I'll, I'll I'll give it a solid a solid B plus. Um, artwork inside I'm also go- I, I'm gonna give it a minus. Uh, because for the most part, it works for me outside of old man face on 10 year old. So I, <laughs> I, I think, I think that works, that, that works pretty well. Otherwise, uh, story is a solid a 
And overall, I'm giving this one uh, an A. I think this is this is a great start to uh, a historic run on on the title. Um, I'll go next. I will give the cover a C plus just because I really don't like the way Wally's drawn. But I love the layout, <laughs> the flash. I love the purple background, the lightning bolt, the year one. That's all great. I just for being the main thing on the main focus on the cover. I just don't yeah. like Wally. So that that for me is a C plus. The art inside, solid B. Again, just because my personal taste, kind of like what Paul said, I don't like the loosey-goosey nature of, of the way he drew people and especially the faces. But it it, it everything else looks really great and the layouts are great. Um, story, I agree, Ian. That's an A all the way. Um, it's a great jumping on point, a great origin story that, that new readers of Wally get to read. And even me thinking I knew a lot about Wally because I read all of that Jeff Johns run of Wally and I never knew some of this stuff that was incorporated in Mark Wade's run. So mm-hmm. that was, that was a treat. Um, and I'm going to go with overall, even an a just because first issue of Mark Wade's run in flash story was awesome. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it was great. Good bird. Uh, well, I must apologize, uh, gentlemen, because, uh, I must, abstain from either remarking on or grading either Ian's or Chris's selections because I own neither of them and I don't do digital <laughs> comics, as you know, so I have read neither. I do, however, have no. a copy of Shane's selection, so if we get around to that, I'll certainly have things to say about that. And may I say that this is a landmark for me because I think in all the appearances I've made on Back to the Bins, this is the first time I've actually read someone else's comics. Murder, we're not curing <laughs> cancer. We're not I, curing cancer from the show. Yeah. It's all right. So it's I just, applaud you, Adam. I mean, it's NA across the board there. Uh, for, for me, uh, story's an A. Uh, I mean, it was it's a great, great introduction to the character. I, I really f- saw the character's three-dimensional, well, kid, and just the way he interacted with the adult room was really well well written, very realistic. Uh, cover and interior art are like bees. Um, but a overall, because it's a really important book, and it's a well-crafted book. Um, and we, and considering what Mark Wade becomes as a writer, how important he is in comics right through the present day, uh, this this is a landmark issue. Ian, great selection. Yeah, I'm going to say the cover doesn't really grab me. If I was not a Flash reader and I walked into the store, I don't think I'd look at this cover and say, oh, I need to pick up this issue. I don't think I'd realize how significant it's going to be from the cover. I almost feel like I would like to see this as kind of like an old timey cover where you see the flash holding a book in his hand and the book has this cover on it. <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> just just to let you know like that that what where they're going with it. Uh and and they, and the, you know so conceptually it's not exactly what I would want. And the rendition of his face does doesn't look right to me. So it's not a bad cover. It just doesn't. I don't feel it has the gravitas of what we get inside. Uh, so I'm going to say a C on the cover. Now, interior art is weird because, again, stylistically, it's not what I like. But as far as the execution goes, I think it's really, really well done. Um, so I'm going to give it a B plus, despite my stylistic uh, issues with it, because I just think the storytelling is excellent. And as as with you guys, an A on the actual story itself, because it 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 does everything it should do, and it makes you know you walk away from it very satisfied. So I'm going to give the yeah. book an an A minus just for some minor detractions, but I'm going to give it an A minus because it is a significant book that is very well done. 
And and to comment uh, real real quick on on artwork is that we you know if you do continue on with this you get the first collaboration between uh, Wade and Waringo uh, later on in in this flash run and hmm. Waringo to me that is the that's the artist that I associate the most with Mark Wade's run on the Flash and and Fantastic it, Four for that matter oh and and mm, Fantastic yeah. Four absolutely and they they work so well together as a team yep. that. That that's my pinnacle of 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 uh, Wade artwork right there is when Waringo was side by side with him on the on the Wally West book. God, Levenstein's sexy. I try, sir. I try. (laughs) Shane, I think it's time for some Blue Beetle. Beetle. Oh, okay. Good heavens. Wait, I got to back up. I was ready for Marvel. Open. Well, we we already had Blue Beetle on this episode. What are you talking about? We get more yeah. Blue Beetle. <laughs> now, before <laughs> you read Beetle. this, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you. Well, before you give you a synopsis on this, I was reading it and I was thinking, did we already cover this book? <laughs> you know, it, it was weird. And and you know what? It turns out I had to look back into the Back to the Bins archives a little bit. It was either issue five episode either five hundred two or five hundred three. We reviewed the secret origins issue oh. for blue beetle <laughs> so very very similar yeah but not the same. like like the zero issue for this volume of blue beetle right, yeah, kind right. Of. <laughs> that's funny uh, all right well first of all i forgot just how much happens in this book as i was reading it <laughs> oh yeah um i can't quite remember i i know my first my first introduction to blue beetle was through the justice league book and then I found out that Beetle and Booster had their own series. And then I was collecting back issues to get them and read them through. Um, and I know, I'm pretty sure, gosh, in CGS history, we read through Blue Beetle, I think, in one of the, God, what are those black and white trades called that they came out with oh, a few oh, years uh, ago? DC Comics Presents? Yeah. No, no. Um, Showcase? Yes. Showcase. Showcase. Yep, that's right. I think we covered Blue Beetle in a showcase once, but I could be misremembering that. Um so I've only read the first issue twice until now, which is the third time. And you start off with uh, Ted as Blue Beetle going in to save the day while a fire is brewing in a building. And it's it's kind of typical to me, typical Blue Beetle fanfare where he's dropping down from the bug, saving people, helping helping to fight the good fight and uh, finds out that this evil fire starter fire fist is in there causing it all fire fist kind the of incendiary man <laughs> what a name battles him what for a... a little while um <laughs> and then you start what he kind of kind of gets a little bit disillusioned from the firefighters they're not really happy with him helping which well, is kind of weird chief's, the chief's ornery about it yeah he's a little bit get un- unforgiving about it which yeah. all right he just helped save you um <laughs> And then you you cut back to a different version of the bug, which I like a little bit better than the Charlton bug, but not as much as I like more modern bugs. So it's mm-hmm. it's still better, but not quite what I like. Still got the spindly um, limbs, but at least the head isn't articulated. It looks a little less like a frog as a result. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, prefer, he, I prefer the bug. I, I prefer the bug to look more like the actual scarab. That's that's my that that's yeah. my favorite of the bug. Yeah. Um, and then you get into a bit of a history and origin. I, I had forgotten it was his uncle that he was mm-hmm. kind of going after and causing some of this problems way back in the beginning. I I appreciated, and, and again, I forgot this part too, where Ted takes what he finds from his uncle um, to Dan Garrett, his old professor, and they kind of talk and, and start working on 
resolving that issue only to find out that Dan is the blue beetle with powers from the scarab, which was awesome. Um, and then gets mortally injured and makes Ted promise to take up the mantle. And then you get a great origin of Ted becoming blue beetle. You get to see cord industries and uh, a lot of neat ancillary characters that come in, which I honestly can't remember how important they are to Ted's run as blue beetle in this first, what 25, 26 issues that this first blue beetle run is. Um, he goes to star labs um, uh, and does some investigating there and some work with them. You find out Ted's father's best friend works for court industries. Um, his girlfriend, Melody, Melody is also yep. court industries, which is kind of neat. I forgot about her. You get a page of Carapax, which I just kind of remembered from the blue beetle movie when I saw that this summer. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's in there trying to search out stuff. No, let's see. Then you get back to where Ted's in Star Labs and gets a buzz from a beeper, which is really the bug calling him because there's a, like a trouble alert going on. So he goes off to try and save the day from what what's happening there, only to come to find that it's the fire dude again wreaking havoc. Um, <laughs> this and time he the, set fire to a fire company. <laughs> yeah, and blows the roof right off of it towards the end, dropping them down. Uh, into it and pinning Ted in the fire. And that's kind of how the issue ends when Ted's kind of trapped and the fire God, well, I forget his name. Firebrand is fire. Fire. Burn. Burn. Firebrand. Fire Marvel. Fire. Burn. Um, fire. Fist. And that's really it, but it's a whole lot of stuff going on this first yep. issue. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, the, the panel layouts are really good. The art's really nice for me. Um, of course, I'm going to be a little bit more biased because I love Blue Beetle, um, but it's a, it's a it's a hell of a first issue, and and it's to a certain extent it's a little bit too much in a first issue. Um, again, I read this after the fact of reading Beetle and Justice League for a while and seeing him in like I'm sure it was Millennium and some other crossover things before I ever read this issue of Blue Beetle. Um, so I had already had a little bit of a foundation and, and a love of the character before going back to this and, and then really finding out just how, to a certain extent, how much of a mess this story is, because I think they did put too much into this first issue to get some possible. Now, for me, <laughs> I love it enough, but I'm reading it, you know, 30, 40 years after loving the character. Um, I don't know if I would have picked this issue up as a kid. I would have stuck with it without being introduced to him in the justice league because i really love that iteration in the stories they told with them and then discovered this kind of stuff shane mm -hmm. let me start off the bat that all the the examples you list is why i loved reading this comic so much i love when we do books oh, from the 80s it's because great because yeah. it's it's a style of producing comics that just doesn't exist anymore um and and you know you can you definitely can argue that sometimes they chalk full too much in but by the end of the book what was it, 60 cents? Was that the cover price? Yeah, yeah, 65 cents. Yeah. You know, full money's worth a, a achieved. Oh, sure. You get you get great character development because, again, it, the style's changed. They don't they used thought balloons back then. So you mm -hmm. learn so much about Ted, his thinking about what he's going through as both as a businessman, a scientist, a superhero. Um, Len Wein, of course, originally a Marvel writer. I, I think this book has a Marvel feel in that he introduces the whole supporting cast you see all the other people in his life, like his receptionist and their fun mm -hmm. dynamic and all that. And so this book for me was in many ways coming home. 
Um, just the writing style, the 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 way the characters are established. You get you you, you under his whole world is established by the end of the story. And I love yeah. how they brought the original Bill Beal into the into it as well. Oh, I'm sure yeah. we'll talk about that to some degree. That was fantastic. Um, it was uh, it was really fun. I, I, I really enjoyed it. And of course, oh, there's Fire Fist. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Fire Fist. I totally agree. This was a lot of fun to read. Um, and and it it again another one that I re- read and thought, you know, yeah, I'd like to read more of this. Whether I will or not, it remains to be seen. But I definitely thought that. Now I happen to be prejudiced on the artwork for a different reason. A few years back at one of the local cons, we met Paris Collins and. I think a nicer guy would be very, very difficult to find. He was such a good guy, and what a like, uh, like just ha- like the happiest guy I think I've ever met. Uh, and and I always have this thing where I always say it's more fun to appreciate art, whether it's music, drawings, any you know any type of art, when you know it's coming from somebody who loves doing what they're doing, because it just kind of carries through and i look at this artwork not only it is a, is it a style that i really like not only does it seem dynamic at moments and it, it's got a very uh eclectic panel layout that i think is kind of cool towards the storytelling but it comes from somebody who i know is just got, has got a huge grin on his face while he's drawing it so when you when you add all of that together i just love the art in this book uh the story is engaging and it made me want to read more so i i mean thumbs up Quick piggyback, Paul, I, about I, the art. I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm, I apologize. Just quickly, I, yeah. the the page and to, to piggyback at what Paul is saying about the art, the page where he and the firefighter escape from the collapsing building, mm-hmm. and he's thinking about, okay, we can survive this if we stand right here because then everything's gonna fall around us. I thought that was really well rendered, yeah. and you really got a sense of the danger that was involved, and also just his skill in getting out of it. Sorry, Ian, go ahead. No, 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 please, by all means. Uh, I, the one piece of artwork that I was going to point out is that I happen to be reading this book uh, while I was watching uh, the Paramount Plus miniseries, The Offer, uh, which is about the making of The Godfather. Oh, sure. I've seen that. And, yeah. uh, I have to watch that. And, and, and Juno Temple was in that. And Juno Temple is on is on on the screen. And on page 14, the the bottom left uh, panel, I swear to God, they draw melody to look exactly like Juno Temple, even though this came out, you know, 20 years before she was ever a thing. So it's just weird that, like, I'm reading this. I look up there. She is on the screen. I'm, and clearly, you know, I know who should be playing melody in in whatever, you know, Blue Beetle property is to come because she's the spitting image of it. It's It's fantastic. Um, also, the most '80s hair you could possibly have oh, in a book, fantastic. right here. In, 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 oh, in, yeah. in this, in this blue beetle. I mean, Ted's Ted's like quaff of of reddish <laughs> black hair is yeah. is absolutely magnificent. The white leisure suit that he's wearing is straight by <laughs> you, you you can't get better than that. And and this this book gave me a greater appreciation not that i didn't already enjoy it but a greater appreciation for the blue beetle movie yes because so yep. so many yes. elements from yep. this yep. Wind up in the Blue Beetle movie, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, Ted's uncle, which is, you know, recast as a as yep. a as as an aunt, uh, you know, this Victoria. time around Victoria. Thank you. Um, and, uh, you know, so many of the other elements of this wind up in that movie. It So now I'm I'm super happy that I've read this and understand where it came from. I even me reading it a few times, like I said, two, three times now, I didn't realize just how much of issue one was in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was, I was kind of blown away by that too. Something I did like about this 
version of Blue Beetle. And, and I say that because, I, again, I love the Justice League that came out at, at this time in, in, in 87. Um, but it, it is goofy. It is campy. Ted is the butt of a joke. He makes jokes. In this, he is highly he intelligent, is. driven, yeah. um, courageous, adventurous. And not that he's not those things in Justice League, but this to me is a different take and I know this came out before Justice League, but this is definitely a different take on Ted Korda as Blue Beetle at this point. Mm-hmm. Not nearly as goofy as what he becomes later. And again, the goofy's not a bad thing. I love that shtick, especially when it's Booster and Beetle going at it as, as a comedy duo. I love it. But this well, is so, really so, something different. Talk, talk about the aesthetic of, uh, I mean, what Chris brought up, uh, Len Wein having that Marvel aesthetic. Um, yeah. I had a feel of this era's Iron Man uh, in the in yeah. the actual style of point. the book. Good point. You know, wh- yeah. whether it comes to the machining aspect of the uh, of the supporting cast, like a lot of it felt very that era Tony Stark Iron Man to me um, in a very positive way. Mm-hmm. Um, but clearly we know where where Len Wein's roots come from and, and it shows in this particular book. And even even Ted talking a little bit in the issue about still becoming the hero, even though he can't get the scarab to do or without the scarab's powers that it gave Dan or some some kind of comment he makes in one of the panels like that. Um, yeah, I, I just I just thought it was enjoyable. I just don't know if if when I was a kid, if I would have picked this up first, if I would have stuck with it. You, you mean, wouldn't have picked up for Fire Fist. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Murder I, fourth. I, I was going to say, I have a feeling you love Fire Fist, but that's. <laughs> <laughs> it's a memorable name, but let's not forget yeah. it's Fire Fist, the incendiary man. That's right. There you go. Thank you. Subtitle included. <laughs> just, just that, that additional adjective, just, just going the extra mile there on, 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 uh, on Len Wein's part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with uh, just about everything that's been said. Uh, it's. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Len Wein does bring kind of a Marvel feel to this. Uh, it's it's kind of throwing together some of the coolest elements of like Spider-Man, Iron Man, and Batman into a single character. Um, I, I love Paris Cullen's artwork. Um, you know, he uh, uh, mo- most of his uh, major publishing career took place at DC. Uh, he did like odd jobs on various DC titles in the early '80s. His first major major series assignment was the Blue Devil series. It came out uh-huh. a couple of years prior to this, which is a great favorite of mine. It's one of the first series of which I collected a complete run in my early days as a oh, player. Wow. And I'd, I'd highly recommend it to anyone who just wants a really fun DC Universe grounded 80s series. It has a number of aspects in common with this series, actually. And it, it is his artwork here. I mean, I'm very happy to hear Paul report that uh, Paris is a, a very nice guy and uh, who appears to really enjoy what he does because I, I can easily believe just watching, just looking at his artwork here, which is so, it, it's splashy, it's animated, it's it's it's, it's plastic. It's it, it, it bespeaks fun. And it really looks like it's it was drawn by somebody who did have a smile on his face as he was uh, committing all these lines to paper. And uh, it's good that uh, this, although Although this is you no know, well-rendered, solid superhero storytelling, it doesn't stray into like full-on wahaha self-satire. Yeah. It's it has a definite sense of humor, you know, and, you know a la say the web slinger, uh, and just uh, it's a w- well-rendered supporting cast, which as Ian mentions, it's it, it's pretty much in in sync with uh, what Iron Man's supporting cast was at the same time. Um, there's a good amount of foreshadowing going on what with Detective Fisher, again, who's, who we saw was a part of uh, Ted's Silver Age supporting cast, suspecting yeah. Ted of actually a foul play in the disappearance of Dan Garrett. And uh, there's a little bit of foreshadowing at uh, the uh, Star Labs 
uh, laboratory of uh, Ted's friend Murray Takamoto, where there's a mysterious janitor who's uh, clearly yeah, got. Uh, I about that. I didn't mention that. Yes, he's he's yeah. cooking something up, and he, he's disappointed. He, he's going to make sure that Ted doesn't spoil it for him. Um, I agree with Ian that uh, I love like the. The, the GQ fashion design for uh, for Ted Corp, right. like the, the the sweater fest and the newsboy cap, it's just it it screams maverick eighties uh, yep. you know tech startup entrepreneur, uh, and it, it just it feels like something I don't know, I don't know weird science or misfits of science or something like that. It's <laughs> it's like uh, what what if uh, I don't know Steve Jobs uh, were were about to fight crime, uh, <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah it, it's. On, on the art level, on the story level, it's, uh, uh, Shane said there's a lot going on in this issue. There's not not a trace of decompression in sight. No. And uh, yeah, as far as uh, the, the the tying in of, uh, I do feel I need to throw this in here though. Uh, the, the, the origin of Ted and uh, the, the trip to to Pago Island and confrontation with his uncle that that's a lot of that was actually lifted almost unaltered uh, from uh, his Silver Age origin as as originally mm. crafted by Ditko. So we, we got we got to give credit to that as far sure, as the transfer to the, the movie, um, and uh, you know Ted discovering his uncle's malign intentions, and the first thing he thinks is, oh no, my uncle's building a world conquering robot army. I'm going to go tell my college archaeology professor about this. <laughs> Instead of going to Great the idea. authorities or maybe somebody who taught him robotics in college, instead he goes <laughs> to the archaeology professor. Just so we can get Dan Garrett, you know, as he was originally conceived in the previous volume of Charlton's Blue Beetle series, in which Dan Garrett was the main character and he was an archaeologist. They they kind of were stuck with that when they were crafting Ted Cord's Silver Age origin. And that's just a bit of Silver Age illogic that they lifted unscrutinized sure. and transferred into the 80s. Sure. So it's just kind of in passing. The, 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 the Carapax part was not a part of his Silver Age origin, though. Carapax does take his origin from this very issue. Mm-hmm. So, yep, there's there is a lot to love about this first issue. And, uh, you know, I, I I collected a full run of Blue Beetle almost on a whim just a couple of years back. Oh, wow. um, I, I just I thought to myself, hmm, I should read that the 80s Blue Beetle series uh, from by Len Wein and Paris Collins. I've heard some good stuff about it. One convention and one wild pig sale later, I had collected the entire <laughs> run, which, as you said, yeah. Jane, is just like. Two years worth of comics, like 25 yeah. issues and change, and I'd paid no more than 50 cents an issue. So any of you listening here, if you don't have like a DC Infinite account and are interested in gathering this up in paper form, you shouldn't have too much difficulty doing it. It's affordable, and it's well worth whatever you paid for it. It's, yeah, I'm it's actually, sadly, sadly, there's no wild pig for them to get it no. from, though. I'm actually disappointed <laughs> in that DC, a couple years ago, produced two volumes of Booster Gold's 80s series, mm-hmm. and it encompassed all issues in those two volumes, uh-huh. yet they haven't done it for blue beetle and i really thought they would have because boy to have four individual volumes encompass yeah. both series that are both 24 25 issues long i, I don't know why they wouldn't especially with the beetle movie coming out i know right. it was different but man that would have been perfect i i just yeah. i'm amazed it's not out they definitely focused more on the Jaime Reyes Beetle oh, yeah. the past couple of years, on, on well, even on the collection side of things, like mm-hmm. you know, the, the fact that Jaime Reyes's uh, initial uh, run was out of print for a while. This is why I will never understand uh, trade paperbacks at companies like Marvel and DC. How how seminal books can go out of print for so long, and sometimes even be out of print after a movie has come out until yeah. like a month or two after it's run where suddenly it's back in print. Like you couldn't have had the foresight to put that back into print 
to have people be interested in your property and be able to read it easily. Um, sure, you could do it on the app pretty easily, or you could do it online. But yeah, a physical copy of the of the '80s Beatles stuff would have made a lot of sense to come out with the uh, with the movie. I agree. And and don't get me wrong, I I really enjoy Jaime Reyes as well as Blue Beetle. I think he's a great character. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's but there's but there's more than one Blue Beetle, plain and simple. Yeah. You know. Yep. All right, ready? Time for ratings. Sure. Yeah, 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 I give the cover an A plus. There's almost no more dynamic, fantastic cover. cover that I could think of, um, yeah, especially featuring just one character um, in in what is a quintessential pose that almost everybody tries to interpret in some way if they're drawing Blue Beetle. Um, interior art, I, I'm giving that an A because I think it's great. The layouts are great. It's dynamic. Um, it doesn't look terribly off to me at all. Um, it, it, like everyone said, it looks very '80s, and I love it. Um, story is an is an A for me as well. Just a, a great origin story. You get a lot of, of groundwork here for things that come later in the series, uh, and stick with Blue Beetle in many iterations down the road. So, for for me, again, a little bit biased, but even just going with this criteria, it, it is really an overall an A book for me. I am going to pretty much agree with you. I, you know, sometimes I take points off the cover if it's a poster image as opposed to giving us kind of a some insight into what is inside. And this is kind of a poster image, but it's a number one issue. And I usually am more, much more forgiving on number one issues when they do that to us. Mm -hmm. uh, this this looks exciting from the cover. And again, as as a younger collector, I think I would see this on the newsstand and say, I need to pick this up. And that that is by far my biggest criteria. Does it make you want to pick up the issue? I think this one does. The interior art, uh, I, you know, I, maybe I am prejudiced because I like Paris Cohen so much, but <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's, it's an absolute A for me as far as I'm concerned. And the story uh, was, you know, it pretty much pulled me in. I enjoyed reading it. And I, and I, again, you know, you, you said there's a lot in there. I, I see that as a plus. If, if it's a, you know, if it's got a little meat to it, and you, you know, you got to pay attention, and maybe you can't multitask as you're reading it, you know, that that's a good thing. Uh, you know, maybe it's not designed to get the more casual reader involved, but certainly somebody who loves comic books should be picking this up and saying this is terrific. Uh, so I'm going to give it an A all around. A. Okay. Um, I think I think I'll give it uh, I'll give it an A minus on the cover. I'm I'm a I'm a fan of the cover and I'm a fan of the posing. Uh, the the red sky and the particular red that they chose <laughs> and how unnatural it is. Uh, while I understand that it poses the 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 character well and it goes it goes good against the uh, the blueness of everything else. Um, I, I feel like it, they they could have chosen a little bit of a different color red for that in order to be a hundred percent perfect for me. So I, I give it an A minus. Um, same on the artwork. Uh, the artwork is getting a getting an A minus for me. I, I I love the overall great great posing, terrific faces. Um, again, I'm gonna have to go with the skies. There's a lot of empty space with the skies, and it might just be the style of the artwork. It might just be the decision making on the colorist, but um, a lot of you know just straight up yellow skies or pink skies. Or you know, red skies when there could be more detail in there than what we have. But the rest of the artwork sings, no question about it. So just a slight ding that'll give me in the A minus territory. 
story, I'm giving it A, and overall, I'll give it an A minus. I think this is a, a a very very solid first issue for a character, no question about it. Uh, A's across the board for me. I thought this was an exceptional first issue. Uh, I am very much simpatico with Ian's uh, assessment of the cover. I'm going to give it an A minus as well. I also was bothered by the tomato orange cover. I, mean, I understand <laughs> that it's it, it, it's a complementary color to blue, so they couldn't make it a blue sky with blue beetle in the foreground. But, uh, <laughs> even so, it's weird. It, uh, unless you're, it's like 1970s Gotham, where the sky seemed to be orange a lot of the time. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a good perspective. You get kind of the. Uh, the, uh, the man on the streets view of the beetle swinging down from the bug on his sky wire. But uh, I think the beetle could have been a little bit larger on the cover to really, uh, you know, mm. have the desired impact. And also the, the, the blurb at the bottom, watch out world. The beetle is back and adventure dumb will never be the same. <laughs> I don't believe that adventure dumb is a word. So that's, it is now. It's on the cover. That is adventure. Dumb. But it's not the same. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, it's it, it's a cool cover, but not cool enough. I give it an A minus. Um, the Paris Collins artwork, I love Paris Collins. I, I give that an A. The story, an A, and I give it a, an overall A. I actually think with the cover, if if they were going to improve on it at all, and still want to keep that redness to it. Given what the beginning of the story is and the end of the story, if they would have just put a little bit more orange and maybe some flaming around it. It mm-hmm. would have mm-hmm. also lent itself right into the beginning of the story and the end of the story, and it would have made perfect sense. And it would have I taken agree. away my yeah. one criticism. Right, of the right, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, all right. So, so uh, Chris, you brought an often forgotten, little known story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the one Marvel uh, book out of, out of out of all of us. <laughs> so, Paul's uh Sarcasm is well-placed. Um, I chose <laughs> Daredevil 181 from 1982, which I'm sure many listeners are familiar with because it's – I mean, I don't think this is probably, well, probably one of the most important comic books of the 1980s. I, um, I didn't realize it, and when I looked at it and I saw double-sized dish, I went, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to take me longer to read this. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> So we we could easily do an entire episode of the show just on this book. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Easily. So this is the death of Electra. Well, the initial death. Well, the first is the first death of Electra or it is the uh, first one. Yeah. So the premiere one, one of, of Electra? one of many deaths of one of many deaths of Electra. That's that's what right. it is. So she is, hasn't uh, died as many times as Jean Grey no. has. No, that's true. That's so, true. yeah, but yeah. I chose this for a couple of reasons. I, I, I don't think we've ever just, dis- well, we did a Daredevil spotlights on the show several years ago, so I'm sure we talked about it then, but uh, this is a book that is so important to me that I, w- I was looking forward in this, in this format to t- talk about a little more detail. Um, so it's Frank Miller story and pencil. This is his legendary initial run on Daredevil, which I'm sure we're all familiar with. Uh, this is near the end of that run, actually. Uh, Inks and colors, and probably, frankly, should get probably the lion's share of credit for the art is Klaus Janssen. Uh, Joe Rosen letters, Danny O'Neill is editing, and this is during the Shooter era as editor-in-chief. So I'll just do a quick summary because I'm sure many listeners are familiar with this, the story. But basically, this is the culmination of a long-running storyline where the kingpin was trying to uh, insert his proxy as a candidate for mayor 
in New York City. So he's hoping that his candidate would then win and then he could then basically seize control of the city politically through his 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 cat's paw, who's going to be in the mayor's office. Daredevil foils this uh, campaign. And at the end of that storyline, which is in issue 180, Kingpin makes it clear that, you know, since the plan has been foiled, that there has to be retaliation. But he decides that, you know, he can't go after J. Jonah Jameson because he's too much of a public figure. And he decides that we're going to have Franklin Nelson um, assassinated. And through these stories, back in issue 168, we have the character of Electra Nachios introduced, who is this virtually supernatural assassin. Later, of course, find out that she has a background as a ninja. And, of course, we know from early stories that she and Matt Murdock were young lovers in college. And basically, the, the whole run has been about Matt struggling with the fact that basically this great adversary of his who was working for it, an even greater adversary, the Kingpin, is his long-lost love. And obviously, Miller brings in many of his crime noir uh, influences into these stories and anyone hasn't read his first run on Daredevil, uh, it's some of the most exciting comics of the early 1980s. And I, I highly recommend them. You know, they introduce the hand, all those supernatural elements of Daredevil, his ninja background, stick, all of that. Um, but this book, of course, is is then the culmination of Electra decides when she actually abducts Fra- Foggy, who recognizes her, and she can't go through with it. And the fr- the framing device of the whole story is that Bullseye, who we all know is a perennial Daredevil foe from back in the Bronze Age, who Miller takes to a terrifying new level once he gets his hands on the character. I'm thinking back to an earlier issue where, he, where he, in the cover he is strutting on the Black Widow with a hairdryer wire. Um, okay. So the Bullseye's in prison, and he narrates the entire – it's all from his perspective. And it's him – obsessed with wanting to break out and get his revenge on daredevil who he is who has beaten him numerous times in all stories that have been published prior to this and in the course of that he realizes that daredevil and matt murdoch are one of the same and he's figured this out and the kingpin has replaced him with Electra as his chief assassin which in bullseye's pride as a hitman is affected by that he wants to regain his stature the kingpin thinks his theory, and this is ironic, it's what happens there on board again. The kingpin thinks Bullseye's theory is cracked. He doesn't believe him. And then Bullseye is then determined to prove himself to both the kingpin and to show that his theory is actually correct. Um, when Electra frees Franklin and, and she has this moment of, of, of consciousness and she lets him go. And you then Bullseye then confronts her in probably one of the most dynamic hand-to-hand combat scenes ever put put to page in my opinion in a comic book um especially in 1982 and this is a very famous or infamous scene where bullseye ultimately doesn't just he doesn't just defeat electra he brutally murders her um and she then it's it's i mean it's cinematic she she's dying i mean he 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 spears her on her own side it's a very famous panel. And then she drags herself to Matt's brownstone um, where he comes out as Matt Murdock and she dies in his arms with Bullseye watching incognito. And then, of course, uh, Bullseye then is determined to then fight Daredevil. He's convinced Daredevil is Matt Murdock. He goes to Murdock's brownstone. Matt uses a subterfuge and to, to make Bullseye think that they're still two different people. They engage in a climactic battle, which, again, the, the, the artwork is just tremendous. 
um, the use of shadow. Again, Miller's crime noir influences are heavily on display here, and also also Japanese art as well. And uh, Daredevil not only defeats Bullseye, he 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 lets him drop, <laughs> and uh, Bullseye is then uh, his whole body is shattered, and he ends up in the story ends with his narration again, you know, in complete traction, paralyzed, um, and but still plotting his revenge and also reflecting the fact that, you know, well, I didn't get Daredevil, but at least I got Murdoch. And then, of course, the classic final images of Matt in the snow at Electra's very imposing gravestone. And uh, that's how the story ends. And so I, in 1982, I was nine years old. And uh, my parents would often take me to indoor flea markets. And I remember maybe I, I didn't get this on the stands. Maybe it was a little bit later. Maybe I was 10 or 11. I was still very young. And they bought this book for me. And it blew off the top of my head. Because, I mean, I've been reading comics for several years and as a kid, right? And I had never seen violence portrayed in a comic book the way it was portrayed in this book from the opening splash page where, Dare, where bullseye is fantasizing about shooting daredevil in the head all the way through as a comic book reader i was not the same kid at the end of this book and i mean this in the best possible way because this book opened my eyes i, I didn't have the vocabulary the wherewithal yet to fully express what i was experiencing but the way this book was drawn the extremely adult subject matter, um, the depiction of violence in it. I'd never seen this in a comic book before because I hadn't read any of other Miller's Daredevil stories before this. I'd read like Son of Orange. I'd read the classic Brother Take My Hand, which I think we talked about in this show, actually, Paul. Yes, um, yes, we did. The beautiful Gene Colan story from the 60s that Stan Lee wrote. So I had some familiarity with Daredevil. I didn't know anything about Electra or Bullseye or anything like that. And this this was a transformative book for me personally as as a reader and as a lover of the medium. And I also think in terms of comics of the 80s, this is an enormously important comic book. Um, and I think it's the culmination of what Miller and Klaus Janton, I think, deserves a massive amount of credit for the art in this book. It, it's a it's a landmark moment. And I, two things I just want to point out before I turn it over to you, gentlemen, um, that I think just are demonstrations of, of what how what a master class this comic is. Um so I'm going to hold up the screen. Her face, when Foggy recognizes her, the mm -hmm. art is so beautiful, like the look in her eyes. I mean, it's Miller and Jansen just working amazing symbiosis here. Um, and then, of course, the next page. This sequence of panels. So before this in comics, I was used to like, you know, heroes like punching villains and like pow bam sock and you know stuff that wouldn't actually happen in real life this is martial arts this is like a mm -hmm. panel by panel blow by <laughs> blow of two master combatants trying to kill each other and you know that miller i'm sure miller studied martial arts he must have to so i mean I'm, i don't know a lot about martial arts, but i know enough to know that he's basing this on actual moves that someone would make in a street fight essentially um it, it's 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 absolutely breathtaking that this this is a transformative book for me and just the, the the cinematic ending where the way she dies and also one other thing i wanted to point out um when he goes into murdoch's apartment at the end of his brownstone 
look at the way Miller uses light and shadow and Jansen in these panels and the mass on the wall. Look, there's when I, I was reading a lot of comics in the 80s growing up. Most comics were comics. Then there was stuff like this. This is on a whole nother level for me. Um, I, I love G.I. Joe's reading as a kid. That's a fun book. This is something else. This is something else. So, so that's my initial thought. What, what I what I truly appreciate about this book, and uh, I, I'm not always the biggest Frank Miller fan. It, it, his it, there's a specific era of Frank Miller <clears throat> that I'm a fan of. This is that era um, where he was a little bit more grounded, um, a little less completely out there. And uh, basically what I've always thought about Frank Miller is that as long as he has a co-collaborator, his stuff tends to be a favorite of mine. Klaus Janssen was clearly his co-collaborator on this yes. wholeheartedly. Um, you could tell by the artwork. You could tell by the style. It, it, it's the two of them working together perfectly as a team. And the narration in this is, is tried and true Frank Miller narration. Like if you if you were to stick the early narration of this into a Sin City book, it would still work yeah. because. Yeah. That that's that's the that's the era of Frank Miller that we're working with here. You know, you've got to suffer first. Oh, yeah. I'll break every bone in your body. Grind your spine into powder. Make every nerve you've got scream in agony. Make you pay. And and just pages and pages of narration boxes for Bullseye to perfect effect. And because this is. The era that it's in today, we would say Bullseye had post concussion syndrome and because that's probably exactly what he had. Um, you know, the the, the constant he- headaches, the ringing in his ears like that, that's post concussion syndrome, plain, plain and true. You know, the, the fact that there are football players that deal with that, that deal with it today, boxers, wrestlers, you name it. And really, like he. He's not in his own mind. He is, but he isn't because of what's happened to him. Um, You know, Matt was just being, you know, daredevil and trying to save people when it when when it went down. But clearly. Bullseye is not even anywhere near in his full capacities um, because of these constant headaches that he's been having. He uses it to get out of the prison as well and then, you know, break free and, you know, go through what he's done. But. It's it's incredibly well crafted here in an era where it wasn't even well studied. That's what's so fascinating to me about that, um, whether he intended it to be or not that I'm looking at it, you know, in today's eyes. But that's that's clearly what 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 I'm getting from it. The other part of it that I appreciate is the lack of words when words simply would not do, you know, how much of the back of this book are just effects like chris pointed out uh you know the 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 sounds of the moves and what have you because narration at that point wouldn't have done anything it's a fight scene and it needed to be a fight scene and it's illustrated perfectly and executed perfectly this this book is probably one of my favorite frank miller books i bar none for many many reasons 
and it's it's on display throughout this issue. It's it, it's masterful storytelling. It really is. You know, Ian, you made a good point um, about um, the headaches. On the other side of that, I think, especially if you've read the previous issues, um, Electra also is not at the top of her game because she doesn't want to do it anymore, mm. and she's clearly like deflated. And in fact, that Miller did a, I think it was called the Electra Saga. Where mm-hmm. they re- they reintroduce these stories again, like in like a series of reprints, but he changes the narration in this scene in the battle, and now it's Electra thinking about it. Hmm. Huh. And it, when you read that, I remember this now. When you read her narration, her heart's not in it. I mean, Bullseye hmm. was lethal to begin with, but neither one of them are really top flight. And I think it explains to some degree why ultimately he's able to kill her because um, she's she's just done. Um, so that, that's that's a great point you made, Ian. Great point. Ian. See, I've seen things where they they talk about you know head injuries and everything, and it's almost where the headache from a, from a concussion makes somebody more not more. I'm saying it wrong because I'm going to say more focused, but almost mm-hmm. more driven. Mm. Uh, and and you know I could see that as kind of the thing because he's obsessed here. You yeah. know, there's no question he's obsessed with Daredevil and he's he's taking that to a whole new level. Um, you mentioned, uh, Ian, that that, you know, the words, the words are there. They wouldn't have added anything. If if anything, the words would have detracted because the words would have been distracting <laughs> when you didn't yes. need them there to explain it to you. The pictures were giving you the, everything you needed. Uh, mm-hmm. And the, and the word that, that Chris used a couple of times, which is what comes to mind to me every time I look at. Miller when Miller was at his best is cinematic. This yeah. issue could easily be a full length movie. Um, well, they oh, tried yeah. that and it worked. It did not work out very well. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Well, no, forget that. That crap. <laughs> they, they, uh, they even use some it, of the dialogue from this from this comic book actually. But if, yeah. if you see the third season of Daredevil on Netflix, which focused on Bullseye, there there is a lot of influence yes, in in that from this, and that I was that I that enjoyed was that very very much. Um, so Bulls, you know, Bulls, you, Bullseye it, is pretty terrifying in that in that season. Of yeah. Daredevil. Yes. I mean, by far, of the TV series that Marvel has had, the different series, the three seasons of Daredevil, I think, top everything top else that they did. Uh, and you know, one these thing are the I would ones... say, Paul, without spoiling for those, because I know Shane at least hasn't seen, and maybe Mert hasn't either, in that third season, just remember the scene where he goes into the newsroom. You know what mm-hmm. I'm talking about, Paul? I think and, I do. And and. Like he's he's going after like the people in the newsroom. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Like they don't pull any punches. Yeah. So anyway, go ahead. Oh yeah, no, it's 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 definitely adult only. Uh, yeah. and, and you know, <laughs> just just for the level of intensity that's in there. But so well done, and and definitely Frank, very very Frank Miller influenced. Uh, the art in this, it's it's funny Frank Miller when he's at the top of his game, and I I agree uh, that he is at the top of his game much more so when he had Klaus Janssen inking him than when he'd ink himself uh, or have somebody else inking him. Uh, but when he's at the top of his game, I think his artwork is just tremendous. Even though, yeah. and this kind of brings us back to what we were talking about earlier, even though he doesn't really have the stuff that would be my preferred style i love his artwork which is kind of mm. weird uh but he he kind of you know we talked earlier about ditko and i mentioned ditko in the spider-man era how he would have some kind of like you know like a film noir feeling to it with the shadows and everything and i can almost see the influence that ditko had on 
on either Jansen, whoever did it, just based on the shadows that are, are in this. Uh, I can't give this high enough grades. Uh, they, they, they don't make the grades any higher than A+. Plus. And, and I feel like that's what, you know, I'm, I'm jumping ahead to rating, but I feel like every single aspect of this book is an A+. Plus. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just one of, I think it's one of the best comic books ever. No. Uh, and, I, and I don't mean that to be, you know, just, uh, you know, just giving uh, false praise. I, I mean, absolutely. This is just one of the best books. I knew of this book's significance, but I've never read it until this ah, today. Terrific. Um, my first exposure to Frank Miller was The Dark Knight Returns, and I read it because it was Batman, but I at first couldn't stand the art at all. And I know that's completely <laughs> different than what we're looking at here. But then to read this and knowing its significance, but reading it, I cannot imagine almost a more perfect book than this from start to finish, yeah. from the cover mm-hmm to the story, to the content, the art, the colors, the layouts, the dialogue, the lack of dialogue, as so many have said before, that is appropriate. It it really is cinematic, as as Chris and Paul both said. It is almost perfection. I, I can't I it, it really is perfection. I can't think of anything wrong with this book. And yeah. and I'm I'm thrilled to have read it now. And what I what I need to do after this is uh, go back into the the Marvel Unlimited app and read uh, issue thirty five of What If, uh, What uh, If Electra. That's a great What If. What If Electra. Great lived. What If. Yep. Yeah. I, I I had a physical copy of it at one point. I don't know if I still do, but uh, Frank Miller actually was the was the man behind that issue yep. Yep. Uh, wow. along 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 with inks by terry austin and and it it tells oh, a bad either a, a very yeah it tells a very different uh take on you know what could have happened uh had had electra survived this this encounter with uh, with bullseye and uh, what would have happened next for daredevil and her so uh th- nice companion piece to this issue we have to remember also that um um the Daredevil character before Miller had a really, really interesting and kind of polyglot existence. Like you've got like the early, you know, Lee stuff with like Gene Colan and 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 then you get into the really funky, trippy 70s Daredevil with like Steve Gerber's writing it. And like Myrtle, remember, like Moon Dragon shows up and he <laughs> has all these wacky villains he's fighting. And it's really fun. Like I, I really enjoy like Karen. Angle the of, Screamer. <laughs> yes, Angar the Screamer. I mean, Ramrod. You know, uh, yeah, Ramrod. Necra and the Mandrill and all those. Uh, that characters. was when that was when I first started reading it. I loved those issues. So they're really fun, and, and you know, the character of Matt Murdock is well established. When you get into the Miller period, though, especially when he takes over the writing for Roger McKenzie, he really starts to explore, you know, Daredevil's roots in terms of the ninja aspect. Um, and he really brings in the street level and the crime noir elements, which he clearly are heavily influencing his approach to the, this character. And basically, when people think about, you know, Daredevil and who love Daredevil and why he's such an impactful character, they're really thinking about this, like this era of the character. That's what fully informs the, the, the Netflix series completely. In fact, when Daredevil appeared in She-Hulk, what was fun about that was there, that was kind of more of a tribute to the older Daredevil that was a little more swashbuckling and, and more sort of fun. This is like after these issues, by the way, Matt Murdock basically loses his mind. 
Like yeah. if you keep reading, like he, he, he there's there's a great issue. Miller's last issue of the book uh, before he comes back for Born Again. All I say is Daredevil goes to Bullseye's hospital room with a gun, <laughs> and I'll leave it there. You have to read it, but uh, <laughs> you know it's this is heavy. Like it's very intense because he's also exploring like the idea of obsession. Bullseye in this issue, but also Matt Murdock later on when it comes to his dynamic with Electra. So uh, I'm really glad everybody, you know, I'm ashamed. I didn't know, knew, didn't know you never read this before. Yeah, so I'm really no, glad it, never read it, it. had an impact on this, you. But this, this was my first time on, uh, on it as well. Oh, Chris. Really? I, I, yeah, wow. I there, there's there's big holes in my in my Daredevil reading, and uh, I've I've read a few of Frank Miller's issues over the years, but uh, even though I've, I've I've seen that one scene every like eight eight hundred and forty nine times, seen that, yeah. I'll, I'll, exactly yeah, the die through uh you know the the, the side through Electra's uh, stomach like that, but uh, yeah, I've I've never read it up until now, and it was it was a great joy that I finally got to it because now I completely understand why this is a seminal work. And when you think the biggest and, problem, go ahead, go I'm ahead, Paul. I'm sorry. No, please go I was ahead. Say, the, big, the biggest problem with Miller's work on Daredevil is the same problem as uh, his work on The Dark Knight, uh, is that too many people tried to copy what he did after he did yes. it and didn't do it as well as no, him. Of course mm-hmm. not. Uh, yeah. And it, it actually took, and again, another thing, we're kind of bringing full circle to something we've talked about already. I think it took Mark Wade writing the character to kind oh, of great revive run. him great and change him. You know, t- to say I'm not going to write him as the film noir character. I'm going to write although, him as a fun character again. Although, although I would say before that, the, probably the two writers who got the closest to well, that, Bendis. Yeah, exactly. Bend both and Bendis Brubaker. and yeah. Did it? Did did I'm terrific sorry, runs on the Ed Brubaker. Uh, Brubaker. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Both of them back back to back essentially uh, did did a great job, and, and, and those are great runs. Oh yeah, and Kevin Smith though was clearly aping Frank Miller, even though that's a good story. Mm-hmm. That that is exactly what you're talking about, Paul. That he was trying to be Frank Miller essentially yeah. with with that story, and and it, and it was it, good. It had, it, oh yeah, but it wasn't. It's great. just not. It's, it's not. It's not Frank Miller exactly. Yeah. And one thing I want to remind people um, is that because we're so oversaturated with obviously depictions of violence in comics, so like. As Ian mentioned, when when like when he impales her, he also lifts her up. Yeah. And she's yeah. like dangling from the knife. And it's really brutal. And yeah. like outside of like independent stuff, like maybe like Grendel and Komiko, you didn't see stuff like that in comics in in, no. in, in, in the nineteen eighties. Like not in mainstream stuff. Not to that this level. And I applaud Shooter and whoever for for giving him the, the freedom to tell this story. Um like I'm looking again at, at when the Chino bullseye are fighting. Like at one point, like like there's a thought to every panel. Like he grabs her hair and he uses it to pull her chin into his knee, basically. Um, so mm-hmm. like they really put thought into how they choreographed their battle. Um, and it, like you guys said, and I've said, like you were watching a really like this is storyboards, like a really well directed film. Yeah. You know, one of the sequences. I was just going to say Danny O'Neill. I'm sorry. Yep. No, just just Denny O'Neill was the editor, and and that says a, mm. says a lot, right? Yep. So. Yeah. One of the sequences that I really really enjoyed for the cinematic storyboard feel was when 
Bullseye tests Murdoch to see if he's oh, Daredevil. That's great in the and morgue. he throws yep. a scalpel at him. Yep. And Daredevil, uh, Murdoch just lifts his billy club to, to catch the scalpel. Uh, <laughs> it, it's just a, an amazing sequence. And, I, I and think also, this, this whole book. And also pay attention to detail. So, like, when when they're in the courtroom and you see Matt in, like, classic Matt Murdock lawyer mode. Like, mm-hmm. he's just got this fantastic closing argument. And Bullseye's watching. And then if you notice in the background, Electra's there, too, in her taxi cab driver masquerade. Like, she's standing behind Bullseye. She doesn't know it's Bullseye. And she's got the cap on. It's clearly her. So oh, okay. I see it, that. It's a, it's a nice touch because, um, you know, she's, she's, she's stalking Foggy. Mm-hmm. Um, but you yeah. imagine she's probably also like watching her long lost love do his thing. Um, and this is great foggy, by the way, like when he's, when she's captured in the cab, the look of complete terror on his face, his eyes are like wide as saucers, you know, he's begging. It's, 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 it's great foggy Nelson. Um, just his, his, his character. Oh, I love this story. I got, I have a signed lithograph of the cover by Miller and Klaus Johnson in my wow. office. Nice. I'll I'll shut up. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like I said, we we could easily do an yeah. entire show just on this book, or, and yeah. and anybody, I I would recommend you you pick up. You, well, I I really enjoy the character of Daredevil, even through some schizophrenic uh, runs that, where where the character got a little weird <laughs> in, over the years. But if you find what we're talking about here to be interesting, I would recommend you pick it up from the Mackenzie Miller era yes. and read forward. That's at issue least until you... uh, with the uh, death stalker, I think was the character. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Who, who was another very interesting character, but they kind of did away with him. <laughs> he was a big, uh, anyway, was a big yeah. daredevil adversary in, in, in the seventies. Yes. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, I think the the contrast is interesting, Chris, that you picked this up at nine years old and being about 10 years older than you, I picked it up at 19 years old and <laughs> we had similar experiences with it just the same. You could probably articulate your reaction a bit better at 19 than I could at nine, Paul. But one last question, gentlemen, what do we think of Colin Farrell as Bullseye in that movie? <sighs> oh, God. Uh, <laughs> you know, at the time it was OK, but... But after you reading think about this, it later, like, yeah. it's just not the, the, wor- the worst part is the worst part is, is that it's not the actor. That's the failing. Not at all. Because no, no not at all. Yeah. It's yeah. the script and He's the directing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Great Colin, Colin Farrell, Colin, Colin Farrell have actually given material to work with yeah. as he has proven time and again, yeah. he could have knocked it out of the park, sure but that was and, not to be the case. And whoever's decision it was to tattoo an imprint of a bullseye on his forehead was. Uh, oh God. That was when they they did a mini series and they did that. That's right. Well, well they, they, that. they, they, they actually it was it was like cut into his head. Well, yeah, the cut it, yeah, cut it, yeah. But I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure the the mini series happened because they were doing it Probably. in the movie. Um, so that that's why they made the change in the comics. It's like when all of a sudden the X Men were wearing the leather all uniform leather. Yeah. From, the, uh, from the from the movie. You know, it's like one has to copy the other every single time. And again, what I would say, just again, without spoiling for for some of our friends who have not seen it, the way they do Bullseye in the, the Daredevil Netflix is tremendous. It's it's yeah. really well done. I have to also check with my my oldest boy Ben to see if he watched it. He was going through all the Marvel stuff from Netflix at one point. Want to say during the pandemic, maybe I don't know if he ever finished it out, and 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 he might have because there's things that he's watched that I haven't um, through that whole Marvel run because I, I I think still stuck way back in the beginning. 
I think by far the best things of that Netflix Marvel run were the three seasons of Daredevil, uh, the first season of Jessica Jones. I love Jessica I love Jones. that season. Oh, so good. God uh, damn it. And, and, oh my God. And I, I surprisingly, because I'm against the grain on this because a lot of people disagreed with me, but I think once we got to episode three of the first season of Luke Cage, I really enjoyed it. Oh, I love Luke run. Cage. I thought Luke Cage was awesome. Oh, yeah. That's where I'm stuck at. Awesome. I think I think I I'm the stuck first on episode two. two. I thought Night the first years. two Come episodes on. was slow, and then the third episode, if I remember right, was when they did his origin. And from that point forward, I really enjoyed that that first season. God, I got a block time and I, to finish I, that whole thing off. I will point out real quick uh, before before we before we ended here is that uh, those series, Daredevil, uh, Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, and the Defenders, are now all officially on the MCU timeline. Um, they oh, they. They exist, they exist within MCU. They're no longer a side project that Dude. may that may, or may not be referenced. That was actually I, I announced as, again. Yes, as of That's as cool. essentially as of the release of Echo earlier this right. week, they're now. I think it was up. officially once they had the ownership and could put it on Disney Plus. <laughs> <laughs> well. That, that's a yes and no, though, because uh, they they had it on Disney Plus, but they they had it as a separate as a separate entry. They weren't officially on the MCU timeline and, until this. So that very means week. the Punisher then is on the timeline as well, then. Which Correct. was also a good, good series yes, or a good season. Well, John Bernthal. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yep. All right. Well, the se- season yeah. just to finish it, season two yeah. of Daredevil has Daredevil. And John Barenthal is the Punisher, yes, which yeah, is right. pretty yes. awesome as well. Yeah, yeah that's true. So, uh, just I'm going to jump ahead of you on this, Chris, because I already said A plus is all around. I can't give any criticism at all to this. Now Same you can for me. Same for A plus across <laughs> the board. I, I agree. A plus. Yeah, A plus. Yep. Adam, if I can recommend to you that you pick this up in some form and read it, I, mm-hmm. I can't recommend it highly enough. <laughs> so I have heard, but you know, <laughs> Miller. I agree with Ian. You know, early grounded Miller is better than later. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> High on his own fumes, Miller. Uh, but yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not something I'll avoid reading. But it's certainly not something I'm going to go out of my way to read. I don't necessarily want to read a comic about somebody getting impaled on her own sigh. Fair enough. Fair enough. It serves the story, Murd. It serves the story. And yep. so that that all said, I'm going to say thank you guys so much. I always have a great time when you come on. Oh, thanks uh, for having and, us. And you bet. I, I couldn't appreciate it more. I really couldn't. So I'm always happy to do it. Yeah, we appreciate that you invite us. Yep. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll I'll do what I usually do, and I'll give it a little time pass, and I'll invite you again, and we'll try and see when we can squeeze it in. But that said, I'm throwing out to the to the four of you right now. Every single one of you separate or together have an open invitation if you have an inkling where you say hey i want to come on you're on honored honored yeah we're thank you i'm I'm happy to have finally had all four of us in 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 one yeah in one back to the bins it's always been like some some collection of us one way or the other so the cats have been herded (laughs) (laughs) This this has been great and thanks again and uh everybody who's listening you know what cgs is you don't need me to tell you (laughs) Uh, happy to have you happy to be on here man thank you all right gentlemen i bid you a fond farewell farewell and we'll talk soon all right take care everybody good night all good night thank you paul good night everybody thank you so much for listening to our show and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back issue awesomeness 
You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.